You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. So if you're looking for any type of batteries, whether it's for your truck, your car, your trail cameras, your rangefinder, stop into a local Interstate Batteries retail location. There are thousands upon thousands of them all over the United States. Talk with a battery specialist and get the batteries that you need to go on with your life. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable. Gus and Jimmy, host of Live the Wildlife TV, is on the show. We discuss his archery progression, practicing real-life shot scenarios, a little about his new show, and more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories, tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast you are listening to. Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge, and today we have Gus and Jimmy on the podcast. Thank you for taking time to hop on the podcast this morning. Well, thanks, Zach. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, well... I I was living for this moment. I couldn't wait until 10.45 came so I'd be on this podcast with you. I want you to know that. I was really looking forward to it, man. I can tell you what, after our after our phone call that was probably supposed to be, you know, a five-minute phone call yesterday to introduce each other turned into almost an hour, I was like, man, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That is kind of weird. And, and it's a small world, you know, like you, you just were on with uh, Brian, Brian Tucker, who I'm actually going to be hanging out and hunting with. Uh, Hopefully they don't close Wyoming, man. You see what's going on in Jackson, Jackson Hole with the tourism. Oh, it's so I crazy. Saying with this COVID thing, I just saw something on it where it's like a lot of way too many visitors get a little overwhelmed. And, yeah. And I'm hoping they don't shut Wyoming down because you know I'll be coming out the end of August, you know, hunting mule deer September first with Brian. 
So it was just kind of weird that you're from Wyoming. I didn't know where you were from or who you were. And you just were on with the guy I'm hanging with while I get there. The same morning you did your podcast. Yeah, no, that's super weird. And, and now on top of it, if you end up having time, hell, you just come out for a barbecue and shoot bows and BS and eat some good food. <laughs> Brian, calm down, calm down, calm down a second, Zach. You know what? Don't invite yourself like you know to become my friend now. I don't know you that well. <laughs> no, no, I like I I appreciate the invitation, man. That's yep. awesome. How weird is this? How weird is this that you got a guy from New York, guy from Wyoming, who kind of know the same people. And enjoy, you know, the hunting the way we do. It's kind of, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I guess out here in New York, I, I just, I got a couple of gold chains you could borrow. You know, maybe a a nice three piece suit or something. You know, you know, some dancing shoes. I'll invite you out here. You can stay with me, right? What do you think? Hey, I'm, I'm all game. I, I'm always, <laughs> I'm always up for hunting other states. Well, you know, we got, we hunt a little different here. You know. Got to hunt in a suit and all, you know what I'm saying? And you got to have your <laughs> your watch and your chains and stuff. You know, it's always funny because that's I'm from New York, and that's pretty much what I get wherever I go. You know, people expect me to be this New York City guy, you know, and ready for a clubbing. You know what I'm saying? Right. When I get there, and it's kind of like I kind of throw them off a bit, but uh, yeah, just the perspective, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Gus, why don't you kind of just tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, maybe how you got into, got started into archery, and uh, then we'll jump into a couple other topics. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I started hunting really late in life. I mean, this is a kind of a weird story, you know. I mean, tasted venison the first time I was probably 31 years old in New York City and we had moved upstate and I played a lot of ball. I didn't, you know, I didn't hunt at all. And you know, guy, new guys at high school who did, but it just wasn't for me. I didn't grow up with it. So when I tasted venison, man, and this is the weirdest thing, something clicked. Like, wow, I could learn to harvest my own food. I don't know why that clicked with me. I guess some people get that when they grow vegetable gardens. They're really proud of what they do and they eat what they, you know, they grow. That's cool. But to me, it, it was really interesting to say to learn to go out and harvest my own meat. I'm a meat eater, so I thought this was kind of a cool deal. Um, I tried, I, I learned a bow because I really was intrigued by the bow, and I started shooting, like I said, when I was 31, and uh, shot my first buck that year, a five-point buck here in New York. And for New York, you know, any deer with a bow at that time was, you know, considered a, a trophy. Um, I was pretty proud of it, and it was great. You know, I got to, like I said, I learned from a, an older guy who taught me how to process the, the meat and it was, it was pretty cool. And then um, I had my first taste of a uh, firearm season in New York. And uh, I mean, I've learned a real respect for firearms from hunting out West, just long shots. And I work with a good friend of mine, Bobby Hart makes Hart custom barrels. He's a long range shooter. So I've learned what a firearm could do, but here in, in New York, it's kind of a little different, you know, right. You get a lot of arm best, a lot, a lot of people out in the woods, and I think that that first uh, day, opening day of rifle season, my first year, I think I heard 200 shots. <laughs> now I figured every deer was going to be wiped out in the county, you know. And I get down to uh, this hunting club and a couple of areas where people, we you don't know, kind of had all their. It was kind of like a a dude ranch. This I don't know, it was 2,500 acres, you know, some something like that. And uh, there were two a button buck and you know, a spike hanging from the pole. And I'm going, who was all those shots? And I just 
learned really quickly it's not a place I want to be with all those shots going up because I have no idea what those guys were shooting at, man. So uh, the firearm thing, I did shoot a spike buck that year, and I was hooked. You know, it was just, um, you know, a buck with the bow and a buck with the rifle. But the bow is what really intrigued me because – I could spend a lot of time. We have a few counties here in New York that are bow only. I got some. In fact, our state record is out of that county, and it's uh, just you know, I work down there. I'm a contractor, so I work down there. So for me, I'd go down. I'd hunt, you know, four days a week. Kind of had it limited to Monday to Thursday because weekend came. I didn't want to deal with the weekend warriors. So it was really cool because I spent a lot of time in the woods hunting, and uh, it just kind of took off from there, man. The trips. Self-guided stuff is what interests me most. Right. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, especially uh, knowing a little bit more about you and seeing your background and everything like that, I could definitely see, you know, the the self-guided DIY type stuff really being appealing to you. Um, and and that that's that's something that, that's always been very appealing to me is, yeah, I mean, obviously the harvest is, is an aspect of it, but... I really like the challenge of locating the animal, getting close enough and, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And man, something, something about doing all that with a bow in your hand is just, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's really exhilarating, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, the bow to me is what interesting, although I, I believe me, we have the Adirondack mountains here in New York and I, I have uh, two pro staff guys from a TV show that, I uh, have been hunting up there for generations. Their grandfather taught them and, you know, they've been, you know, their dad and, you know, their older brothers. And um, it's a firearms camp. I tried it one year with a bow, but it was just stupid because you're tracking deer. So you're going to cover a lot of ground and you got to move it. And, you know, it's very, very thick. So it's not conducive to a bow shot, to be honest with you. I'm going to try it early season this year out of a tree stand, but you kind of, you know, you know, not serving yourself well if you can't track and move because there's a lot, not a lot of deer per square mile, but just some incredible country. So, yeah, other than that, the bow is all I want to do, you know. Right. And and obviously I, I, I grew up actually doing the rifle stuff and I don't have anyone in my family that bow hunts. I, I started bow hunting due to 4-H archery. And, you know, my love kind of sparked from there when my first year of, of season in Wyoming, you know, that I was actually old enough to hunt big game on my own, is, which is 12 years right. old. I went out and I got buck fever and I missed a spike and all sorts of stuff with my bow. I, I held back then I didn't even have sights, you know, it's just, just like right, right. draw right, right. back and give her the onion, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wish I would have started when I was young because I just totally... I'm engrossed in this. I love it, you know, and to me, it's my life now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I always envy the guys that uh, I've talked to who've, you know, had grandfathers who hunted and dads who hunted and took them out early and they got out there. But, you know, I had a lot of ground to make up. But, you know, I always think of it also that it means different things to different people. Hunting, right. you know, to me, like you were saying, you know, the self-guided hunts. What I love is the adventure of what I'm doing, the preparation, the practice put in. You know the deal when I'm talking about, you know, just training your body. I mean, I'm not the youngest guy anymore, so I'm still doing it. So it takes a little more prep and a little different than when I, when I was younger. But, um, 
I'm still doing it. That's what I like about it. And it's a challenge to me. And, you know, everybody hunts for different reasons and I don't ever want to, you know, judge anybody else. But uh, the reason I do it, it's a whole circle for me. The harvest is just part of it. It kind of completes the circle, I guess. Look, we do. am I going to lie to you and say I don't want to shoot the biggest animal in the woods? No, I'd be lying. Of course I do. Um, do I want to make a clean sh- ethical shot on the animal? Of course I do. But just that whole adventure, the travel, the whole, like you were saying, putting the whole thing together, um, is, is that's what intrigued me to with the, the whole self-guided hunting and and you know what i'm trying to say i mean how can you let's say you were my guide how would you guide me with a bow I and mean, what exactly are you going to do unless you put you hung the tree stand and said gus go sit in that tree stand and hopefully a deer walks by or ground blind you know what i'm saying it's um so i mean i don't think there's a lot of guiding involved with bow hunting as much as with a rifle. I think it's still, once it comes down to it, and I've, I've hunted in Alaska where you've you know, brown bear and mountain goat where you've had to have a guy, but it's a point when you're, you're on your own, man. Right. God's going to stay back and you got to go in and do your thing. Like they're not going to, they're not going to pull back the bow for you, man. You know, it's so, so that's, that's kind of any, and like you were saying, the getting close to the animal is the, is the most incredible thing. Absolutely. So with, uh, with your progression into archery, um, I, I would assume you probably started out, went to maybe maybe a bow shop or a pawn shop or something like that, got your bow, and then started learning how to do it. Um, what did that progression kind of look like for you, and what kind of stuff do you do on your bow now that you used to have the pro shop do for you? Um. You know what? I don't tinker a lot with my bows. I shoot them, you know, and uh, I always look at it as, you know, I, I obviously put my own rests on, my own sights, you know, adjust my own stuff. I never really had a bow shop do a ton of stuff. Um, it's really not that difficult. I could change my string if I have to, but I always still bring two bows with me wherever I go. And uh, if I have a base camp, I'll leave one bow down there and take one up on the mountain with me. In case of an emergency, because I think that most 90 percent of your bow hunting is confidence. You know, I've seen guys shoot quarters at 50 yards. I mean, awesome. Way better shots than me. And and then miss an animal. And uh, it's really to me, it's handling that moment. Um, right. And and that comes down to timing. And I, I, I the way I say it is like seen guys shoot 3d and just awesome shots but put them in the woods on uneven footing with the wind blowing and there's the animal and you've got three seconds to make that shot three seconds so he's gonna move well a lot of guys that they don't train properly target shooting is totally different than than hunting and and i i i I kind of like the confidence of shooting both of those bows. I don't want to start messing with a bow and changing a string in the field and then not feeling confident on that bow. Yes, you could shoot it back in, but both of my, I mean, I've got five bows, but two bows, let's say I'll take on a trip, depending like Wyoming. If I'm going there, I'm going to shoot a heavier poundage because of the wind. That's a big thing about Wyoming. We'll get into that later. But my point is I like, I know that both of those bows, I shoot one in the morning, one in the evening, every day. I'm really confident on exactly what that equipment does. So I don't like really messing with stuff in the field. So that's why I bring two bows. But I'm not a bow tinkerer, to be honest with you, man. I know guys that really love it. 
Um, I like to prepare for the situation more than just be a target shooter. You know, I'll get shoot a dozen arrows in the morning and a dozen in the evening, and that's it. Um, I always looked at it that you got one shot. You don't have 20 shots or 100 shots. You have one shot at that animal. And if you're a hunter, that's the kind of moment you have to prepare for. It's just the way I looked at it. Yeah, for for sure. Um, and well, first off, I don't know what you're talking about. It's never windy in Wyoming. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what that wind is that you're referring to. <laughs> Dude, I've had my arrows go sideways, sideways in Wyoming, and then come back. And you know, like uh, I, I always, you know, I've hunted out of ground blinds over water holes and done some spot and stalk. But um, one year I hunted out of a windmill. I killed a couple of antelope out of a windmill. But uh, it was a real windy day, and I. I don't know why, but I picked this windmill. I had a choice, and I went to Windy Jack. Dude, I couldn't even stay still. It wasn't <laughs> even about what it was going to do to the arrow. I couldn't hold my bow steady if I wanted to shoot. So <laughs> just kind of funny. Right? And the wind in Wyoming could be really bad. Yeah, I mean, we just – we use chain links as a wind sock. It's so windy here. No. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I I think there's I think there's definitely something to be said for what you mentioned about shooting a bow and being confident in it as opposed to tweaking. And obviously there's a fine line. Like if you're drawing back your bow and you're shooting and you're watching your arrow do all sorts of crazy stuff and then hits the target and sticking right. out sideways, that could probably yep. tell you that you need to do some tinkering, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But if everything's shooting well and Every once in a while you have a stray arrow, that's telling you that you just need to shoot more. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, too, is I have a few bow shops that I go to, and I like them to, you know, I like to watch my form. Because I'll go every year and shoot. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong. I shoot hundreds of hours to get muscle memory. I'm not trying to tell you not to develop your form, but it's also, I always, I'll have somebody critique. I'll go to a couple of different shops of guys I deal with. And uh, they'll just watch me shoot and say, you know, you were doing this or you're doing that. It's just to kind of correct some bad habits. But once I put the time in and get, you know, I shoot all year now. So it's not like I have to really get back into shooting shape. Um, I'm never going to be that good. I'm 62 years old. I tell you what, my eyes are not what they used to be, uh, but I deal with it. And uh, I've learned to compensate for, you know, getting older. But I'm still shooting a 75-pound bow. I mean, I could shoot more if I had to. But these bows are so fast right now, it's not, not necessary because I like to shoot a real heavy arrow. Mm -hmm. The problem is I have a short draw length. I have a 27-inch draw length, you know, 27 and a half in some bows. And um, I, need to, I need to generate that energy, that kinetic energy. So to me, the poundage, and, and I can shoot that sitting in the winter. I mean, there's videos of me out there sitting in the snow in the wind shooting 90 yards. So, you know, it, it could, it, you could do all those things with the poundage, possibly somebody with a 30 inch draw length could do it. He's going to get the same energy shooting way less poundage than I would have to shoot. So, you know, like I said, different in styles. And I just didn't want people to get the wrong idea that I'm saying you don't have to practice. I mean, once you, you know, you put those hundreds of arrows through your bow, but then when it starts getting to that point where you're getting ready for your hunt, prepare for the situation, you know, you're just right. not going to have that kind of time. I mean, I, I've, I've seen guys get up, in the tree stand and hadn't hunted out of shot out of a stand all year. Well, of course they're uncomfortable. They're 22 feet in the air. They're not <laughs> comfortable anymore. Like, you know, you don't have your big wide stance shoulder width apart and taking, you know, five minutes between each shot. It's like, here comes your buck. 
you're, it's tight. The wind's blowing. You, even though you have a harness on, you know what I'm trying to say. You're still uneasy about it. And they blow the shot. And I said, well, God, I keep stands in my, you know, right outside my door. I shoot all the time off a tree, out of a tree stand just to get ready for the season. You know, same thing with a ground blind. I'll shoot sitting and shoot through a window of a, a kind of a blind I made. So it's just a wall of a blind, but getting used to shooting through that window. I mean, it's just preparing for the hunt, you know? Yeah, I, I, I like how you put that because definitely, you know, there, there's one thing practicing your 20 yard, your 30 yard, 40 yard, 50 yard on the nice increments, things like that. And doing that the majority of the year. But then there's <clears throat> there's also throwing in real life scenarios, much like you're talking I mean, something as simple as kneeling while you're shooting those marked yardages. Who doesn't like elk hunting with archery equipment in September? Here is your chance to win a free archery elk hunt in Colorado and hunt alongside the president and founder of Outdoor Edge, David Block. To enter the drawing, go to OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Again, that is OutdoorEdge.com and click on Elk Hunt Giveaway. Now, let's get back to the show. Another thing that I that I have done in the past is I'll take my handful of arrows and I'll just start throwing them out towards where I'm going to shoot from. And then I just go and I shoot from where those arrows are. And what that has done for me is, uh, it, it helps me judge the, the yardage to the target, but mm -hmm. it also forces me to shoot at 43.7 yards rather than 40 or, right. you know, 37.4 yards rather than right. 30. And and that's important. I, I've noticed there for a while when I was doing much like you were saying, just going through the paces almost of practicing where you just shoot your, your every right. 10 yards. And it really hurt me when I actually got out of the field and I had to kneel down or whatever the hell else, you know? So, um, sure. so that's a, that's a, that's a really good tip right there is to, to, be shooting different ways that you're going to practice. And even, even if you don't have a tree stand that you can in your yard that you can get up to 20 feet, um, put the tree stand and just shoot from the platform so you can get used to shooting on a small platform. Right. Even that will help. Well, yep. But that height thing does get you. But you know what I it does. do? I, had a, I have a video actually of me. Uh, I had like an eight foot ladder that was up on my deck. Mm -hmm. which was, that, was a, that was 10 feet off the ground. So I'd go up on it and this ladder would shake. But again, I was falling to a flat deck. So it wasn't like I was falling 18 feet. Uh, and I shoot off of that every morning, like really quick, six arrows. Yeah. And it was shaking, so I learned to keep my balance. Um, but I, you shoot multiple pins or a single pin? I shoot a single pin. Yeah, that's what I shoot, a single pin. So here's the way I look at it. I could put my pin on 20 yards, my 20-yard pin, leave it at 20. I could shoot 20 to 40 yards and just go high or low. And I always felt that if I have to shoot over 40 yards at an animal, well, I dial it in. Like I use a range finder and, you know, he's 52 yards. I'm going to dial it into 52 because if I'm rushing that shot at 52 yards, probably not going to get that animal or at least make a clean shot on him. That's just my personal thing. But I've had between 20 and 40 because I'm not that great of a, just a judger of distance. When we hunt in New York, we always have trees. So right. I have, you know, mental notes or I range all those trees before I hunt. We really get you is like out in a place like Wyoming, that's where it kills you, man, because, you you know, we're not used to that. We have fields here, but, um, you know, I mean, 50 yards looks like you're on top of the animal. 50 yards is nothing in Wyoming. You're on the ground. 
you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've talked on animals and been like, I mean, my one, my favorite, one of my favorite hunts of all time was an elk hunt in, in Wyoming. And uh, it was one of those deals where I had uh, some trees. I had a cameraman. I had my guide who, who I was with, who got, you know, permission on this private land. that was awesome. Right. Here comes this bull screaming in just everything I've dreamt about. I've killed a few elk in my life, but never uh, did much with the calling and on the ground. I've done it at a tree stand over water holes, uh, you know, over wallows, but never calling a bull in. Well, here comes this bull. And I got two little scrub pines out in the middle of this meadow and they're 30 yards. So I'm like, cool, I'm I'm going to put my 30 yard pin. If it's 30, if he's before that, I'll hold it low. If he's past that, it's high. Well, you know, the bull makes a left a right, actually a left, right, a left, and he comes in front of me. Now, I had no time to pick up the range farther because I was in front of this little pine, and it was like he was looking right at me. And when I came up, you know, usually I use the diameter of my sight to kind of measure the animal's body. Mm-hmm. Like if I hold a white, if I hold a white on a white tail, I can tell how much of that body is covering my sight, the diameter of the sight. I could get a good judge of the distance, even without a range farther. But the elk is huge, you know, and of course it threw me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking he's oh, just a 30-yard pin high. Here we go. And I shoot, and I hit him, but really low. And I'm going, I found the arrow. It's good I had a lighted dock. But I found the arrow. It was like 52 yards. Like, I got the elk. Dude, I guess it's a whole other story. But, but it was one of those deals where it was like, wow, does that throw you off? You know, just being in open country. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that. you know, I've noticed that uh, especially just – like you say, the, the, the complete difference of hunting different types of terrain and how that affects your ability to judge yardage is kind of insane. You know, it's like, it's exactly what you're saying. You're like, Oh, I'm golden. I'm ready to go. And then you get someplace new and you're like, that tree's only 35 yards. I'd have shot it for 50. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. It does kill you. And like, I mean, I, I've seen guys who I've shot some 3D courses with guys who are really good judges of distance. and But the bows are pretty fast today. I, I'll be honest with you. Unless you're really shooting like 3D where you're stretching things out, um, you know, you could tell where 40 and in is in. And right. I hold that 20-yard pin high. At, I, I, use, I can dial it in, you know, to 40 yards. You know, a single pin, I, I have a movable pin. But I'll, I'll you know, I if I held my 20-yard pin high, I'll, I'll kill at 40 yards. It's just the bows are so fast. It's not like the old, you know, the older bows. Like remember when I started, even it was, it was horrible. And I can only imagine how it was. Although I got to be honest with you, man, I I dream of being able to be proficient with a, a, a traditional equipment. To me, that's I've done it a few times, but I'm I'm not good enough to hunt with it yet. Or you know, with the show, I have to actually produce and make an interesting show. Nobody wants to see me shooting arrows over the top of animals uh, or hitting trees and whatever. But I don't um, know. You might be surprised. That's actually the coolest thing, dude. Do you, have you shot traditional at all? Um, I've shot uh, not like traditional in the sense of a longbow. I've shot some recurves. Um, right. And and I'm kind of you know I'm kind of got mixed feelings. I completely think that having a longbow or recurve and shooting something at you know eight to thirteen yards would be right. would just be awesome. I really do. Um, right. But I'll be honest, like I get so jacked up when I shoot an animal with my bow, whether it be you know I shot an elk last year with my son right behind me, and it was it was literally like seven or eight yards. 
And it was just something that he and I'll probably never forget, you know, and I had, I turned around, I put the camera on him and I captured that emotion, you know, but then on the flip side, I've, I've shot stuff at, at 70, 80 yards also. But while I'm being that close, uh, is, is obviously a much neater experience because you have to be that much closer. Um, I'm so ecstatic when I just shoot something with my bow. Um, right. Because as you know, like there, there's so much that went into that, that coming together, right. I, I've been practicing with my bow. I've been testing different arrows, different fletchings, different broadheads. I now have a setup that I'm comfortable with and it's, I'm now going to go into season. I've blown who knows how many stocks because self filming and bow hunting is like an oxymoron. It's pretty stupid. (laughs) And so here I am, you know, I'm, and then finally all the stars align and it comes together and it's just like a roller coaster of emotions. Cause as you know, you just bust your butt trying to make it happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I would love to be able to shoot traditional only because, um, I know I eat what I kill and I love the, the whole bar to be lowered. Hey, I'll be happy to shoot a doe, you know, and and, and harvest that doe and eat that doe. And to make that shot to me, it would be personally, more gratifying. I don't know how interesting it would be on television, but uh, for me, it it would be a kind of a cool deal. I just maybe someday, you know, but that right. fly fishing will kind of be what I'll retire to, you know. Right. You know, maybe I'll just do it for myself, man. Maybe not everything belongs on TV. That's, there you go. That's my thing. I'll give you my outdoor television, you know, projection here. I look at it and I just go, "We lost our way, man. We just did." You know, where I used to think things were like. Um, you know, watch outdoor television when I first started watching it and watch the adventure and the camaraderie and the family and tradition and all those things and educational. It became like, you know, man, if you don't shoot the biggest bull elk on the mountain, he's not that good of a hunter. It, had, it hit me one time. I was doing an appearance in, in New York here and a kid came up with his grandfather and, um, you know, kind of like blew his blown his grandfather off, like thinking I was all that. And I'm, talking to the grandfather and I don't know some people who knew this guy and this guy shot some, I always look at a 10 year period. Give me a 10 year period of your hunting, wherever you want. And if you shoot, now you shooting some of the bigger animals in your area, not in the country, in your area. And this guy was like, you know, he eight out of 10 years shot some really nice New York bucks, right? You really, you know, sweet bucks. He knows what he's doing. He's a good hunter. And I just heard the, the grandson, like, that's the guy you should be listening to. This dude's like, you have it right there in your family. And I, it kind of threw me a little bit, you know, like, wow, man, what image are we projecting to the young people today that it's only have to shoot the biggest animal to be the best. And I just, that's when I kind of started steering to the more of the self-guided hunts and things that matter to me. Look, if some, if nobody likes it, turn the channel off, man. You don't have to watch me. It's cool. You know what? Maybe I don't belong on TV. I don't know. But I want to at least project what I feel, you know, and it should be about all those other things. And obviously we all we could all lie and say it doesn't matter the size, but it does because, you know, we all want that. We all have an ego at some point. You want to say, hey, I shot the biggest buck in the county this year. That's great, you know, but um, we shouldn't get away from what this is. And if we don't shoot the biggest buck in the county, it shouldn't diminish the season or the hunt, you know, or, or, the, or somebody else. I don't know. I just thought that television was kind of leading in the wrong way. And 
I don't think I'm a very funny person when I try to be funny. I'm not funny. You might think I talk funny. You might, you know what I'm trying to say? And if that's cool, if that's what you think, but so not everybody's going to be, you know, a a Michael Waddell or, you know, they're not going to be that They You're trying to be somebody you're not. I think that, I think that just this whole outdoor television has changed a bit. And I think um, being true to yourself is what this is about. And I hopefully people connect with your vision of what it should be. Uh, that yeah, you definitely couldn't put that any better, especially when, um, especially when when you have a, a show or a podcast or or any type of following whatsoever. It's 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 cool when when you have the nerve to continue and keep it and be yourself and be. I guess aside from maybe like cussing or whatever else, you have the <laughs> the nerve to be who you are on and off the camera. And, right. and I've filmed some people that, that try to be different when they're, when they're on the camera or anything like that, but then they, I don't know, they start to get relaxed or whatever it is. Who knows? I, well, I don't know what it is, but you can just, you're like, okay, those are the clips we're using. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, it's just so, so different. Well, something that caught my attention is you mentioned that you really like to shoot a heavier arrow and yep. I am kind of in the same boat. I shoot a 27 inch draw length as well. So I know, you know, after research and testing and all this, that, and whatever, um, I've settled on not a super heavy arrow, but a pretty heavy arrow, a cut-on-contact broadhead, um, and it's it's doing really well. It worked excellent last year. So I was just kind of curious what, you know, what, what your arrow looked like and what broadhead you're shooting. Um, I shoot a Carbon Express. I, actually, my favorite arrow they've ever made was the Pile Driver Extreme. It was a they have a new one now that's a pile driver, but it's a small diameter arrow. So they came out with the Maxima Red, which I really like. Um, I like them small diameter arrows. Um, a little weight forward. Uh, I've been shooting Ramcat broadheads heads this year. Uh, had some good success with them, so I like them. Uh, I don't necessarily need a on contact, but I like a small diameter. The way I look at it is this. if I'm shooting a turkey, I'll shoot a an expandable by Ramcat or something bigger. Smaller animal, I want a, a broadhead with a larger entry hole. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, I remember Wyoming, I shot a turkey. I didn't adjust my bow, and I was shooting an 84-pound bow at the time. And I shot it with my whitetail set up, and I blew through this turkey like it wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, man, what did I just do? <laughs> Good thing there was a whole flock of turkey there that's kind of stayed, and were kind of like out where my Mine was and I couldn't go out because uh, it was my buddy's place and he was going to be hunting there later on. So I didn't want to scare all the turkey away. So I'm sitting there, but because the other turkey stayed by, that other turkey stood up almost 45 minutes before it finally went down. I mean, it's kind of sad. I mean, I, I did the wrong thing. I but it went through so quickly, it didn't cut. I I rather have been in the turkey while he's flopping it. I've had turkey go down in seconds, you know, with a expandable head. Gotcha. Different situations, different heads. I really do completely agree with you about needing a certain broadhead for a specific use because it's it's always been interesting to me when somebody will say, hey, I'm going on an elk hunt and I want uh, the great big broadhead because I want a huge entry and exit hole. And, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, well, 
yeah, in a perfect world, you're going to miss all the ribs and mm-hmm. you'll have a big entry and exit hole. But in the rest of the unperfect world, what if, you know, what if you dead center a rib or clip the shoulder or whatever else? Sure, sure. And, and I'm the like, distance, then, dude, then the what? Distance too. I mean, think about it, Zach. I mean, you're going to shoot an elk average, you know, 40 plus, you know, it could be up to 60 or 80 yards, but 40 you might get him close, but you know what I'm trying to say. I'd much rather shoot just to be straight up. I've done mule deer spot and stalk for years, and I'd much rather shoot a mule deer at 60 yards than 40 yards. And I'm going to tell you why, man. It's always weird when you get in that 40 yard, when you break that 60 yard barrier, I don't know what it is, maybe a sixth sense, but man, they pick up the littlest movement. They just seem unaware at that 60 plus. I mean, I've shot mule deer at, you know, 90 yards. My point is, if you practice with your equipment, you know the equipment could do it. Right. Um, and I'm shooting the poundage that could do it. And like I said, the right broadhead, the right arrow, all that, and taking the mule deer. The thing is, you get in that 40-yard, man, you go to draw that bow, man, you got an alert animal. And I don't care if it's whitetail at 20 yards or whatever. You're shooting that alert animal, you got problems. Yeah, that I 100% agree. That's so funny that you bring that up because I, I feel the exact same way. Um, right. Is you break that 40 yard barrier and it's like they are pins and needles when they hear that bow right. go off. But for whatever reason, 50, 60 yards, it's just like they hear yeah. the bow go off and it's just it's they look they, they look yeah. straight out. I mean, maybe just the trajectory of the arrow, too. I mean, I don't know what it is, but they don't seem to pick it up. I've had my most success from 60 plus on stalks uh now so be that being said that's where i wanted to go with this is that so now you're shooting expandable with a huge you know cutting diameter now what about kinetic energy when you hit and now what does it take to open up that head look at my bow if i don't care what i'm shooting at 20 yards with an expandable the poundage i'm shooting i'm pretty much going to blow through it pretty much Mm -hmm. you know now when you you get out to 50 or 60 yards things change then you put your arrow in the wind and think about all these conditions that could change. You know, you're going to get some, it's going to drift your arrow a bit, or it's going to at least slow it down, just fighting through the wind. Um, and I'm looking at this going, man, you got the wrong setup. I, a buddy of mine, we're out in Wyoming and funny as hell, we're shooting uh, antelope and he's big dude, but he was shooting like a 52 pound bow, but he has a good draw, long draw length, so it was fine. And he's shooting an expandable head for antelope. And we were leaving right from there to go to Alberta to hunt for moose. So I said, well, What are you shooting for moose? He goes, Oh, I'm shooting the same thing. I never lost an animal yet. Of course, I went down the list of all the animals that he, he wounded. <laughs> With that, I'm like, What about that antelope last year? What about the mule? What about them two white tail up in the bow zone? He goes, Yeah, well, what happened, man? He shoots a beautiful moose at 50 something yards. And calls me up and, you know, well, he, called, he was with the outfitter, calls me, oh, we got him, I got him, I got all this blood, how much blood you got on the arrow, oh, I got, you know, 18 inches, okay, great, well, basically, they found the moose the next day, got up, shook himself off and walked off, like, he, he wasn't even, like, phased, it hit the ribs and rode right up the side of the ribs, so when they found the arrow, they saw, yeah, 18 inches of blood, but he didn't get any penetration, it hit the ribs and just skated along, and I just said, Rich, that expandable takes a lot of energy to open at that distance. I wouldn't have used that head. I would have used a fixed blade with a real small diameter. That's just 
my own personal thing, you know, and people can use whatever they want. I'm, you asked me, and I'm telling you. Yeah, no, and I actually, I tested the, uh, last year I went on this whole kick where I had to test several broadheads out and fletchings right. and all sorts of stuff, and the Ramcat was one of the broadheads that I tested in the the three-blade fixed blade. Um, and I tested that out and I was, I was very impressed with that broadhead. Uh, it seemed to fly extremely well, especially right. for being fixed blade. I was like, man, there's, there's three blades hanging out there and it was, it was flying really well. Yeah. Yeah. No, they fly well, great. I mean, look, I've been, they, you know, I know Brett, the original owner who designed the head and made it, uh, he was with, I'm with Ark is hunting, which is the, you know, dead wind tanks, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he, um, he sold his company to them. And, you know, I like the fact that they retained a lot of people like I shoot obsession bows and they retained Dennis Lewis. I mean, actually the company just sold now to the guys who own Martin, whatever investment group that is just bought obsession. But my point is that they kept the people, the original owners on, which was important to me. Cause like if I had an issue with a, with a broadhead, I could talk to Brett and, you know, he's the guy who designed the head. And that was, that's a big thing to me. Um, but you know, like I said, I, I, I have no issues with the head. I like them a lot. So. Yeah, that's cool. It, uh, it's funny how much, how much that is peace of mind. Cause I've shot, uh, I shot Valkyrie broadheads for a little while. Um, and iron will broadheads now. And it's the same thing. I, I, am close with, or not close, but I, I know, and I've met in person, both the owners and anytime I had questions or something wasn't doing right or whatever else, their door was open. I just call them up and they say, Hey, this is just maybe try this or this is what you have right. going on. And I mean, that was just, to me, that was peace of mind. If I were to buy a rage or something like that, like I could call customer service, but right. at the end of the day, they're probably in the same boat as I'm in, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. No, you're right. You're right. But, uh, but I mean, they shoot, you know, you know, I've shot, uh, everybody has their own, favorite and like i said the poundage and where you hunt what you hunt can really determine what broadhead works for you right i mean i i always like when people well i don't like when people ask me what i should do i said well you know what i would do is get three four that and shoot them all and see what works for you it's like what's your best bow well i don't know for me you know it could be different than you right We're different you got to shoot go to a pro shop Shoot three or four different bows and see which feels most comfortable, what's most shootable to you. And what type of hunting are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, I have five, I have five bows because they're all used for different things. Right. I mean, I always like to keep two for, you know, like I said, one and another one that's exactly set up the same just for my trips. But, you know, tur my turkey bow is different than uh, a bow that I would use uh, like I'm going to use in Wyoming. It's a different bow than what I'd use for my turkey. and target bow is different and you know i just i just depending on the type of hunting it really determines the poundage and the speed and you know shootability and all that matters yeah I, that's i think too uh you brought up a good point is that's that's one thing that's that's so hard about today's world right people are all, they always want to be on the fast track and they just want to ask and then hope that somebody gives them some secret to be proficient with the bow or pick the right arrow or whatever the hell else. It doesn't really matter. Right. But, you know, my my wife, uh, when she very first started bow hunting, she's like, well, I just want you to – can you tell me what to do? And I said, well, yes, I can tell you what I would do. But the difference is, is 
once you start learning what you need to do and what works for you, it's, it could very well be different than what works for me. Um, and same thing with a bow, like you said, you know, there, there's a reason that there's umpteen number of bow manufacturers is because one bow might not necessarily fit me like it fits you. Right. And that's the whole right. purpose. Or you might just like something different. Yeah. Yeah. Might, just feel, might feel different. something different in a bow that I, that I would. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, I, to- I totally get it. I totally get it, man. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one other thing that I really would like to touch on is I know that you do some, you know, I think I know you do a wide variety of hunts from living out of your backpack and walking, you know, however many miles y'all walk to going and hunting out of a tree stand. Um, so I would, I would really like to touch on, uh, you know, I know that, that you do some things with outdoor edge. I know that you use their knives. Um, Mm -hmm. so I would really like to touch on which knives that you typically take, um, on specific hunts and why. Well, I'm probably the worst guy to ask that to, because I have some of the original knives that like David, when we first, well, I know David personally now where you know we've gone away together uh, a few different vacation trips not hunting trips but uh, i have a cody pack that i have with me on every single trip to alaska now um some of them he in our first year that you know he had sponsored my show he was like he put our logos on the blade i still have those knives with the logo on the blade the logo for our show you know what i'm saying and because the they're great. They're great stainless knives. They hold a good edge. I don't have an issue with them. Now, that being said, I'd like to get the grab the guy who names all these knives for David because I can't keep up what he's doing. He's got more stuff on that website than any person I've, I've ever heard of. I mean, look, the razor, the, all those razor lights, the razor light, the razor pro, the razor max, the, the razor bone, all different size blades, all those replaceable blades. Love those, man. They work. You know, and, I, and if people tell me, well, you can't put an edge on a knife, I can't. But let me tell you something. You have been up on a mountain and getting dark. And you got to skin out an animal before the brown bears start coming, and you got to get off that mountain while it's still safe. Um, and you know what? You just don't have time. Changing blades works really good. Yeah. Quick. And, you know, those blades don't last. But, I mean, to me, that's just a a, a positive when you're out on a trip like that most of these guys don't get the physical demand of being two weeks in a tent yes you could sit there and put an edge on a blade it doesn't take a lot of physical but you just get drained man mentally and physically drained to be out there on some of those hunts and um you know i like the replaceable blades i really do like them i gotta admit that i like them you know i love putting an edge on a blade and working at my house, but when I'm up on a mountain and a blade starts to dull, I love the fact that I could just put a new blade on quick and I'm, you know, continuing. I don't miss a beat. So, you know, all those replaceable blades are great. Um, the flipping zip, man, that whole zip thing is is off the hook. What I mean, everybody I know loves that thing. It's like a kind of a gut hook that doesn't, but you could flip it and have a blade on the other side. Yep. They've, changed, they've changed some stuff now, like the swing blade. Um, is the same as the flip and zip. One, one closes, one does it. One stay has like a, in other words, one will fold up to a pocket knife size. The other one has it. When you flip it, it's just, you know, either blade or the gut hook has to be out. You can put that in the sheet, which is nice. Uh, he's changed some of these grip lights. They're all 
The handles are a little different. They're all rubberized, non-slip. They're really cool. And then look at the packs that he's come up with, all the you know, the processing packs. I mean, the guy's like, I mean, I've been with David 10 years in Outdoor Edge. And um, just the stuff he's come up with over the years is just, just incredible stuff. And it's a reasonably priced knife for a good quality knife that's going to last um, – like I said, I still have my original ones, and Dave gets pissed. Don't show that on the show anymore. We don't make the Cody pack. Dave, <laughs> I hear you, brother, but you know what? The knife that means most to me is the one that's been on an outfitter's side or a guy's side for 20 years. Right. There's tradition, a heritage. There's all the fact that he still believes in that blade. I mean, David used to have the biggest thing was at the end of the show, give your, you know, if you were a guide or an outfitter or somebody, give them, you know, a new knife. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's kind of cool, but I want to see the one that's been on his side for five years that he's been using. That's that's to me is what sells the knife is having it all those years and have be able to depend on it. That's more important to me than just having a new a new knife in a box and giving it to somebody. So yeah, I mean I love the products. I've been with it forever and you know, it's just like constantly coming out with new stuff. I can't keep up with how much new stuff comes out. And every one of them, like, how much better can you make this? Well, one's a three-inch blade. One's a three-and-a-half-inch blade. One's a five-inch blade. I mean, or four-and-a-half-inch blade. All replaceable blades. I'm like, wow, they all have a different purpose for the same, you know, type of knife. So it's great. You know, it's, it's really, uh, really innovative. He really stays on top of it. Yeah, I I think it's I, – I had no idea – how many knives they actually had. Um, I went and filmed Dave on a whitetail hunt last year in Kansas. And on the way we were leaving, we swung by the outdoor edge office. Right. And I was used to like what, you know, the razor light max or laser bite pro. And, and I loved it. And we walk in there and there's literally 150 plus knives. And I'm like, Dave, I, you guys make all this stuff? And he's like, oh, yeah, we got this, 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 this. And I'm like, holy crap. I had no clue that they made all that stuff. You know, I was like, okay, we got a barbecue cook set. We got the outfitter Don't set. Don't bring up that barbecue cook set again. <laughs> Don't ever bring that up again, you know, because I actually really like it. But David sends me out this barbecue cook set. I'm like, I mean, I don't know. You might have seen my face. So, you, you know, I didn't like a you know, the the typical dad who cooks on a Sunday. David, go put your plaid shorts on. You go cook it and video something with it. No, no, Gus, we want you to do it. I'm like, dude, how am I going to make this cool? I don't look like that guy with the barbecue set. But then I fell in love with the barbecue set. I made the video, and it was awesome because I had killed a bear, and, you know, we've been we making some bear sausage, and um, we cooked it up, and we did, like, some shish kebabs with some other game. I don't remember what it was at the time, and it was awesome, you know, and I really, really liked the kit. So it's just funny because I'm sitting there arguing, Dave, man, I'm not going to do a video for you on this, man. I'm the wrong guy for this one, you know? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it just blew me away. And then last year he says, we get done on the hunt, and he goes, well, here, you can just have this, uh, the Razor Light Pro, I think, and then the Razor yeah. Max. Right. And he's like, you know, I don't, I know that you like to backpack hunt and the Razor Max, it doesn't fold up, but you know, you might try it. You really like it. And I stuck that knife in my hand that right. night and I, I was blown away at how well it fit into my hand. I was like, this thing feels really good. And then before you know it, I was skinning a deer in South Dakota with it. 
Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's great for boning. It's awesome for boning. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great, I know, like I said, you replace the blades on those, which is amazing. I'll give you a funny story on the, on Dave and his, you know, requests. I had sent him, I don't know if you've ever seen, there was a, there was a poster, so he still uses it in stores, of me with a, a razor light pro one of them the replaceable blades so it's got my face there and i'm holding a knife so um we're at a dinner last shot show with uh there's a bunch of maybe 60 people there and uh pat and nicole are there you know great show like them they're great people and uh pat had said something like hey why didn't you use my picture he said because gus sent me this so we're sitting there so i'm good Pat, you didn't send us that one. So Gus did. So we used it. So I'm over there with Pat. And I say, hey, Pat. You know, and I didn't really know Pat that well. So he kind of, you know, how I threw him off a bit. I said, you don't want to know why they use my picture in that? Because look at this face. When I hold up a product, there's nobody looking at me. They're looking at the product. When you <laughs> hold up a product, you got guys checking you out. You got women checking you out. I said, you're a good looking guy. I said, that's your problem right there. You detract from the product. It's, <laughs> see, when I hold it up, nobody wants to look at my face. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got to laugh out of that. I Sorry. bet. That's <laughs> yeah, story I'll pass on. But, uh, yeah, no, David's, David, the Outdoor Edge Knife set, man, I just like oh, I watched the company grow. You know, they're everywhere. So, yeah, really cool stuff. It is, it is, and it's, uh, you know, I, I had used uh, a competitor, Havilon, a little right. bit, and there was there was just certain things that, there's certain things that I, I still like the Havilon for, but there's mm-hmm. there was a lot of things that I just was like, man, I wish it did this, I wish it did that, and then right. then I ended up getting an outdoor edge, and I was like, man, this this thing's really slick, I really like it, and and to your point of being able to change the blades, I know a lot of people that resharpen them honestly and and but like you say when you're up on the side of the mountain and there's brown bears or grizzlies you know there's certain parts of wyoming obviously that have grizzlies and when you have something like that on the back of your mind the last thing that you want to be doing is sitting there covered in blood and being like hey well let's just spend the next five ten minutes sharpen my knife (laughs) right i hear you you're tired too you're exhausted you want to get off the mountain you want to get everything back to camp i mean yeah i mean people who don't experience that don't really understand it but, you know, you take them on some of those wild hunts and they get to see the difference. You know, it's funny. I got a show coming out, a new show. It should be, you know, we're just finishing the pilot now where I've taken New York guys into these places. And I'm not talking about just New York. I have one guy that went to never hunted before, but we have uh, guys who are hunters here in New York. And I've taken a few guys to Alaska. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird. They just I don't know if they really expected that. Some of them. Some of them fell right into it and loved it. Other guys, it was um, it was a bit much, you know. Yeah. I mean, unnerving much to them. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's cool to talk about it, man. But when you're here, there's no coming back, dude. There's, you know, I'm not holding your hand off this mountain. I'm not carrying your pack. You're carrying your own. I got to help myself. I'm, you know, God, I'm 20 years older than you. So, <laughs> dude, I'm going to get down the mountain myself. You're going to have to get down. And if you don't, people die. And you might be one of them. Maybe this was a bad choice for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, um, so, yeah, so what I always like the people who could tell me, you know, well, you can't sharpen your own knife. Yes, I can. But you know what? Um, 
just like you said, you're up there and it's it's getting dark or it's dark and you got to get off that mountain carrying out meat or a cape or the whole, you know, animal off that mountain. Let me tell you something. It's no joke. Absolutely. No joke. Yeah. Well, Gus, I can tell you that I, I, when you called yesterday and we just chatted for about an hour, I was thinking, man, I am looking forward to this podcast and it didn't disappoint. I had an absolute blast chatting with you on the podcast. Um, I can't wait to have you back on and just talk some bow hunting stories. Um, everyone loves listening to stories and I know that you have a bucket full of them and, uh, I would just, I would really like to have you back on and just, just talk some hunting stories. That'd be awesome. That was great talking to you, Zach. Yeah, same to you. Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.